He looked in the mirror again. A woman standing right behind his reflection was smiling at him and waving. He reached out a hand and felt the air behind him. If she was really there, he'd touch her. Their reflections were so close together, but he only felt air. She and the others existed only in the mirror. She was a very pretty woman. She had dark red hair and her eyes. Her eyes were just like mine, Harry thought, edging a little closer to the glass. Bright green, exactly the same shape, but then he noticed that she was crying. Smiling, but crying at the same time. The tall, thin, black-haired man standing next to her put his arm around her. He wore glasses, and his hair was very untidy. It stuck up in the back, just like Harry's did. Harry was so close to the mirror now that his nose was nearly touching that of his reflection. Mum? He whispered. Dad? They just looked at him, smiling. And slowly, Harry looked into the faces of the other people in the mirror and saw other pairs of green eyes like his, other noses like his, even a little old man who looked as though he had Harry's knobbly knees. Harry was looking at his family for the first time in his life. What's up, potheads? Welcome to the restricted section, in which a bunch of nerds with potty mouths reread the Harry Potter series for the umpteenth time and discuss how the story and its themes have stayed with a generation into adulthood. Thank you for listening. If you haven't done the reading, don't worry, we did it for you. Here's what we are talking about today. Chapter 12, The Mirror of Erised. It's Christmas time at Hogwarts, and just before the holiday break, the gang is searching in all the wrong places, and decades, for information on Nicholas Flamel. So Hermione tasks Harry and Ron with finding out who Flamel is while she's away. Christmas morning quickly arrives, and most notable among Harry's presents, although it's hard to choose, is his father's invisibility cloak. That night, Harry decides to explore the castle in his cloak, his main goal being to go to the restricted section to make good on his promise to Hermione. One screaming book later, a high-speed cloak chase ensues, and Harry finds himself in a strange room with an even stranger mirror. Standing in front of the mirror of Erised, Harry sees his family for the first time. On his third night in a row, cloaked and sneaking out of the Gryffindor common room, Harry settles down in front of the mirror, ready to spend the whole night with his family. Just then, Albus Dumbledore makes his presence known. In true Dumbledore fashion, Albus tells Harry that the mirror of Erised shows people their deepest, most desperate desires. And with that, a note of caution. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Remember that. Wow, are we just really ready to get started? I think so. I guess so. I do want to start the episode by reminding our listeners that we are in a lot of places online. We have an Instagram account where you should follow us at Restricted Section Pod. We have a Twitter that's kind of new, still trying to figure out how Twitter works, at Restricted Pod. That's official now. That's not what I said in the last episode, but that's what it is now. You can email us at RestrictedSectionPod at gmail.com. Let us know any thoughts or feelings. We're always really grateful for ratings and reviews. We'd love to hear what you think about the podcast. We read all of our reviews, and if we like it, we'll read it on the podcast, and then you could become famous like us. Hit us up. We want to hear from you. So let's get started today. We're doing Chapter 12, The Mirror of Erised. Is that how we're pronouncing it? 
Yeah, when I, I mean, when I read these books before the movies, before other people told me how to pronounce things, I pronounced a lot of things wrong, and one of them apparently was the mirror of Erised. I think, yeah, yeah. we're going Erised. Mm-hmm. So, so let's do a little intro, and Mary Payne, I think this was your recommendation. Let's go around the circle and let me know who's here, and what would you see in the mirror of Erised? So I'm your host, Christina, and if I were to look in the mirror of Erised, it would probably be me being a bad bitch, running my own business, and not answering to no one. That's amazing. I'm Grace. I think I was the one who told you not to ask this question. Oh, that was you? Um, yeah. Gotta look That's because I was going to come at you with some woolen socks. Is that so your that's final a terrible answer? answer so. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. I feel like I would just be surrounded by like cakes maybe oh. and like you know all my loved ones just like cakes and cakes and loved ones i want to die surrounded by cakes and loved ones <laughs> <laughs> beautiful <laughs> my name is mary payton and i would i'd probably see me being a famous author even though i haven't been writing lately but that is kind of that would be kind of like my big dream um, but also, I'm a famous author who runs the bookstore. Like Nora Roberts. Oh, I didn't know. she. Owned oh, that's in Maryland. <gasps> What's it called? It is called Turn the Page Bookstore. And Nora Roberts, if you're listening, hi. Hey, girl. <laughs> I've heard of that bookstore. I'm pretty sure I follow them on Instagram. Cool. So today I made myself a cocktail and I gave it a clever name. I thought you'd be really proud, Mary Payton. So I proud. Took a page out of your book, so to speak. So this is whiskey. It's actually Game of Thrones whiskey. Oh my god, I forget what brand did that, but it's the Game of Thrones whiskey. Oh, Johnny Walker. Mm. I believe you. There's dragons on the bottle, and I mixed Maybe. it with some cherry cordial left over from when Brooke made those really dope drinks. They were called wild ginger. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. So she left a cherry cordial at my house. And then there's also some cold brew coffee in here. And oh. I'm calling it a Weasley sweater because it's snuggly. <laughs> so cuddly, so snuggly. That is beautiful. I am drinking tequila and Sprite. I previously stated that I was only drinking, it was just straight tequila. And then I decided that was a bad call. So I added some Sprite in there. Gotta make it last. Yeah. yeah. Straight tequila. I mean, these podcasts could go for a while. You don't want to be doing that. <laughs> You're right. The whole time. I'm actually just drinking a martini. Mm -hmm. um, but it's in a wine glass. And I feel like martinis just look so disgusting when they're in anything that's not like a martini glass. Because <laughs> they're this weird, like, greenish color and they've got olives in it. Well, if you put olives in it. Delicious. Oh, yeah. That looks great. That looks good. Yeah. Um, don't tell the governor, but I broke the stand on order to go get alcohol today. Oh, same. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, essential. And I got, my vodka I got was this, like, love is love theme, where a dollar of it goes to LGBTQ. It just said uh, causes. It didn't really narrow it down, but, but that was That's pretty awesome. cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, let's get into it. It's Christmas at Hogwarts. How snugly and warm it, does this make you feel inside? Just great. I just, I, I think I said in the Halloween episode, there has to be no place better than Hogwarts for any holiday, especially for Christmas. It would just be the most magical time to be at Hogwarts. Yeah, I think uh, 
Christmas means probably snow. And we start this chapter by learning that the Weasley twins have been melting snowballs at the back of Coral's turban, which means they've been literally hitting <laughs> Boldy with snowballs this whole time. And it's like my favorite thing ever. Right in the face. So beautiful. Right in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Over and over again, because it says that they just bounced. They followed um, him around. Yeah. Bewitching several snowballs, so they followed Quirrell around, bouncing off the back of his turban. So I'm imagining they hit pretty hard to <laughs> bounce right back <laughs> off. <laughs> I wonder if Voldemort is, like, always, like, actively existing, hmm. you know? Or if he can, like, go to sleep or, like, like go get absorbed into his head yeah like i wonder if like at any point you could unravel it and you would for sure see voldemort's face you know what i mean interesting that yeah i I don't think she ever goes over that because she doesn't need to really i guess but but that's interesting like it 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 would hopefully for him not that i want good things for voldemort but like (laughs) um, just imagining being in someone's turban for that many hours during the day would be pretty bad like, even just, like, being under the blanket, like, a little too much in bed, you start to feel like you're breathing your own air too much, and you're just like, get me out of here! Right. Man. Poor Voldemort, am I right? You're no. <laughs> not right. <laughs> no. So, Hogwarts gets blanketed in snow, which I think that part of the charm of Hogwarts around Christmas time is that there's this persistent blanket of snow, which we live in Richmond, Virginia. We're in the South. And that's not how it happens here. We get, like, one, maybe two snows. I think this past winter, it was a strong, like, half a snow. We didn't have, like, any snow. So this, like, aesthetic of it being, like, so constantly snowy and just, like, so snuggly. And they all just, like, deal with it because they're, like, I grew up here and I get it. Such an aesthetic. Yeah. And then, you know who ruins it? (laughs) <laughs> Draco Malfoy, as always, being a huge surprise, dick. surprise. Guess who doesn't have any parents? <laughs> <laughs> wow, I never heard that one before, Draco. <laughs> yeah, at least get a new insult. He's really bitter about that Quidditch game. Oh and yeah, he's gonna continue to be bitter about Quidditch games for the rest of the series. Really, yeah. I know he's not even on the team yet. Just chill, bro. I know. You know, in the last chapter, Harry almost died. So, I mean, there's just really no need to be that much of a dick. (laughs) We we talked about multiple times about how danger in the wizarding world is like a different threshold than in the regular world. Like that would definitely be a panic. Oh my God, he almost died. We need to change the rules in some way or figure out who did this kind of thing in the muggle world. In the wizarding world, it's like, oh man, that really sucks. Someone must have done that to you. Um, But you won the game, so... (laughs) Yeah, I no wonder big. if any, any investigation happens. I know. It feels like there no one looked into that. <laughs> They're just like, wow, he made it. Thank God we don't have to deal with that. <laughs> and you would think that all these wise professors who have been around magic for their entire lives would know a curse when they see it. Or a jinx. Was it jinx? Curse? I think they called it a curse. Wait, okay. I don't remember. Hmm. I mean, I think it's only Hermione, really, that Hermione and Ron that. Yeah, yeah, everyone else kind of just thinks that Harry doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Yeah. She calls it a jinx. Okay. Yeah, what does McGonagall think? Like, what does Dumbledore think of Harry just, his broom just turning on him? And then they're like, 
don't worry about it. We're not going to look into this and keep the broom. Keep riding on it. Right. And also they bought him the broom, right? So yeah, maybe return it. Maybe, maybe <laughs> like, be worried about it a little bit. Like do anything. Oh, literally yeah. anything. <laughs> <sighs> one thing, one thing that I feel like Christmas at Hogwarts, like the one part that would suck is how cold it is. Being in that castle in the winter, I feel like would be really tough. That's true. I mean, on my, you know, very fragile condition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A fragile constitution. Okay. Like general bitch assiness. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you get used to what you're in all the time. You know, you just get used to it. Later on, when Ron, when Harry's talking about, well, the narrator's talking about Harry and Ron being alone in the castle over the holidays and how mm-hmm. one of the best parts is that they get the chairs next to the fireplace. So there's like right. one fireplace in this entire dorm for all these kids. And I imagine it's not like deadly cold, but <laughs> the fact that they're so excited about finally being near the fireplace. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably pretty chilly in there all the time. Yeah, and then, and, you know, not to jump ahead, but later in the chapter, they're wandering around the castle barefoot, which, like, I'm not going to wander to the bathroom barefoot. Like, I'm fucking cold. No. Like, <laughs> Can you imagine doing that oh in college? Oh, my gosh, are they barefoot? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't say specifically that they're barefoot here, but it does say during other excursions that they're barefoot. Okay. And, hair, I mean, Ron complains about his cold feet and, like, yeah, why, why aren't you wearing Oh, shoes, yeah, he said dude? they were... Was that feet that he said were like, like dying ice. of the cold or dead like from ice, co- dead from cold. dead feet or something? Dead mm-hmm. ice feet. <laughs> dead from cold, yeah. Uh, so we see Hagrid and he's decorating the Great Hall for Christmas. Love him. Work so hard. They could be magicking these trees, but no, he's carrying them. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, I love that. Like. Um, McGonagall and Flitwick are the ones who are decorating the Great Hall like it's that important, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That the deputy headmistress is overseeing it. <laughs> it's a big deal. Yeah. You don't mess around. But I think it's really cute that Ron offers to help Hagrid with the tree when he's so clearly... Yeah. He just can't... There's no way he would be able to help him, but he offers anyway, <laughs> and I think that's really cute. It is really cute. I noticed that, too, because, I mean, Ron is has many older siblings and a mom who's like a homemaker and he has been on the record known to be kind of an idiot sometimes. So I was really surprised that it occurred to him, you know, to to even offer. He's pretty, he's pretty oblivious. And I remember that thinking that later in the book too, it makes me think of like a teenage boy or tween, any tween. (laughs) Yeah. Just like, doesn't really understand social cues. Harry, I think, is an overthinker, so I think he thinks a little bit more about stuff for his age, maybe. I don't know. Ron definitely just, like, says shit later in the chapter. He's like, who cares about what you see in the mirror? Your parents are dead. Let me look at this shit. That's exactly exactly what I was thinking about. He's just, like, he just moves on. He's like, okay, well, let's eat. You should be eating some food, and he, like, moves on. Yeah. I kind of love it. It's, like, I mean, if you think about it, Ron is perfect for Harry because Harry's been raised in this, like, terrible household where appearance is everything, and it's, like, some of the nastiest people in the world trying to present, like, their, like, 
really proper. And so yeah. Ron, on the other hand, ha is like from this old wizard family and he has like this upbringing and yet he's like a fucking idiot and he just says whatever is on his mind. And I think Harry probably thinks that's awesome. It's probably a lot easier to, to live with. Like he's, he's used to living with these people where everything was kind of a game. Um, yes. You know, they never told him exactly what was going on. They were never truly honest with him. And then he's just got a friend who just answers him bluntly all the time, which I'm sure is a relief. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. easier to be friends with someone who just says how they feel, even if it's douchey. You know, mm -hmm. like, like uh, well, at least there's no secrets. Yeah, we do get, like, <clears throat> our first real Harry and Ron, like, real bonding set. It's like a sleepover. No one yeah. else is oh, yeah. there. Hermione mm -hmm. fucks off. They're like, she's a cool new friend, but, like, really, we just want to play chess for 100 hours and eat marshmallows. So we get some really nice, like, like Harry, Ron, like, playing, kind of. I was thinking about chess to Ron and how it's really cool that that's his that's kind his of, like, thing. his... That's his thing, yeah, that he's really good at because throughout the whole series, throughout his life, he has the old version of everything. He's got the hand-me-down version of robes, of a pet, even. Everything he's got is run down. It doesn't work quite right. Even his wand, you know, backfires on him plenty. But having this chess set that's really old actually works in his favor. So once he's got something that is good at being a hand-me-down or good at being old, then he just, like, rocks it. I, I just love that he finds that, that thing that he can be good at, even if it's a crappy old set. I love that too, because I think the fact that it's old shows exactly how special Chess is to Ron, because it could have easily gone to one of his older siblings, and it didn't. It went to him. Whose was it? It was his grandfather's, I think, or something. Maybe his grandfather. I just really imagine that it's like a thing in the Weasley family, and he was really taught painstakingly like through his childhood and so it probably carries a lot of meaning to him and then yeah the set and then on the flip side harry has this this new set both seamus's set that he borrows and the one he wins on christmas and neither one of them works out that well for him so ron's probably like yeah nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah in this case this is one of those few cases in this series where having something that's really old works in his favor too bad those uh, dress robes, those old dress robes don't work out just as well <laughs> for the Yule Ball, but we'll get there. One thing about the uh, chess set that I'd sort of forgotten about was how sassy the chess pieces are. <laughs> I forgot that they actually talk back to you. And so, you know, in another way, it's great that Ron, you know, uses this set all the time. And um, he loves it so much because he's really gotten to know the players and they work well together. They're spending every spare moment in the library, including just a half hour before lunch, because they're trying to figure out who Nicholas Flamel is. They're not really thinking outside the box, you know, because mm -hmm. what Hagrid said that that's between Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel, that can mean a lot of different things. They don't know. Mm -hmm. For all they know, it could be like Dumbledore's neighbor or something like that. <laughs> like he literally doesn't give them any clue. I think the only thing they're going off of is the fact that Harry is sure that he's heard this name before. And we have two. Right. Which is crazy because I just love when books do that to you. It's like, ah, you gave me all the clues and my stupid little brain just couldn't figure it out. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> love it. I love being duped. Yeah. I mean, they haven't really learned to think outside the box yet, which makes sense. They just got here. They have had no crazy 
experiences, which in a couple years will be like deeply untrue. They stack up quick. Yes. <laughs> so, and then I kind of forgot that this is the chapter where we first get introduced to the restricted section. Yay! Yay! That's us. That's what you're listening yep. to right now. The for the restricted section podcast. <clears throat> I'm just going to read it because we're so special. Um, Harry wandered over to the restricted section. He had been wondering for a while if Flamel wasn't somewhere in there. Unfortunately, you needed a specially signed note from one of the teachers to look in any of the restricted books, and he knew he'd never get one. These were books containing powerful dark magic never taught at Hogwarts and only read by older students studying advanced defense against the dark arts. So that's cool. That's us. You need a teacher's note to listen to us. <laughs> that's right. I love that the very beginning of that, where, where the three of them are in this situation where they choose to go is defines them for the entire series. Like Hermione has made this list of subjects and titles, highly researched, and she's going to follow it to a T. Ron is just randomly picking out books, ha, ha, probably did not think at all, not, not before, not during, not after, really. Um, and then Harry goes straight to what seems like it's going to get him into the most trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> very brave and very stupid. Yes. But I can just hear Ron being like, well, he's not in any of the books that you have have on your list. So, like, he could be in any of these books. Fuck you. Basically. He's just filling in the gaps, okay? Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's an important role. And that's probably why the three of them work well so well together. They still balance. Yeah. Totally. So, and then we get introduced to Madame Pence, the librarian, who tells Harry to fuck off, basically. And she says, what are you looking for? He says nothing. And then she says, you better get out. And she calls him boy, which is just amazing. <laughs> well, you can tell that she just loves books and she just happens to have to also speak to children. But right. it's like about the books. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you guys, all you babies are the same. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just leaves. Like he wasn't like, oh, I was studying. Like he just fucking leaves. <laughs> and let's talk for a second too. I want to talk as a book obsessed person, just how big this library is. It's a dream. Here, I'll read it. And then of course, there was the sheer size of the library, tens of thousands of books, thousands of shelves and hundreds of narrow rows. I can't even really imagine it. And to be honest, right. as I'm trying to imagine it, what's coming into my brain is the Department of Mysteries. Yeah, oh, yeah. just row after row of the same looking kind of rows. So you get lost in there. Do you think they use the Dewey Decimal System? Wow. The hard-hitting questions, Christina. Because you know they don't have an online catalog. They can't do computers. <laughs> they definitely need a better cataloging system. That is for sure. Or, like, yeah. is it all just, like, in Madame Pince's brain? And that's why she's always on, on edge. I feel like in all, uh, not all, but a lot of fantasy books where they have some sort of giant library, that's the librarian's job, is to literally know everything. At least I'm thinking of the series that I'm reading right now, Throne of Glass, where they have this like famously old library where they just have stuff from like tens of thousands of years old, and the librarian just knows where stuff might be. So that's a big-ass library. <laughs> 
and Harry gets chased off. And then Hermione leaves. And then Harry and Ron, best friends play day forever. So now we get to the fire sitting and the toasting stuff in the fire. Yeah, they really trust these kids a lot. Just being alone in the dorm with a running fire. Okay, these fires have to be bewitched or something. You know what I mean? To not spread. And I would assume that they would just do that. Because like a regular fire, you've got to pay attention to and poke like, it. Right. On it. Right, right, right. We do learn in book four that the fires are tended by the house elves. But you're right that throughout a day, you have to, you do have to tend to a fire. And Harry doesn't see a house elf until book four. So they're not coming throughout the day. So there's probably a couple creative solutions. Maybe there's some kind of like a charm on the logs to make them last longer or something. Mm, that sounds mm-hmm. right. I like that. Okay, where were we? Harry, Ron, playing chess, roasting stuff. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. Oh, yeah. Um, he goes to bed looking forward to the food because he knows by now that Hogwarts is where the food at, is at. But he doesn't expect presents, but he wakes up with presents. And I think that that's like a really beautiful moment because you don't have to get Christmas presents for people, you know? We live in a really consumeristic society, but for someone like Harry, I think that the gesture of being given Christmas presents was probably incredibly meaningful. Yeah, I mean, he's lived his entire life with family, which is supposed to be the most important group of people that would, if anyone gives you a present, it really should be your family. And then they didn't. So I could imagine that he would not in any way assume that his new friends would. Yeah, and the fact that the presents that he does get from his new friends are all so meaningful is just really, really sweet. Um, He gets a handcrafted flute. Yeah. Way like, to go I'm, Hagrid. Way to go Hagrid. I'm not handcrafting anything unless I'm really poor that year. <laughs> <laughs> and they say, it says Harry blew it. It sounded a bit like an owl, which I don't really um, understand that line because I feel like that's a good thing, right? Yeah, but it's not very, like, fluty. I guess fluty is, like, higher pitch than that. I um, thought I thought maybe it was just going with, like, the theme of gifts from Hagrid since he got him Hedwig. Aww. But I don't know. Could just be being a little sentimental there. Not sure. Mm. Yeah, I love that the first present he opens is Hagrid's because it's just so, it's so sweet. We know Hagrid's a good guy, but this is kind of... Like, he, he really loves Harry more. He did not handcraft gifts for the entire student body, right? It was probably just Harry. And yeah, why? Is it, is it because Harry is alone? Is it because Hagrid knew Lily and James? Is it because Hagrid was the one who got sent to pick up Harry and bring him to the Dursleys? Why does Hagrid just latch on to Harry so much? I mean, I think it's all of the above that have made him feel very paternal towards him. Like in the chapter when he's taking him to Diagon Alley and seems very protective of him and gets him the owl and answers all of his questions. I think he just, or from actually, you know what? It's probably from that moment where he has to tell him everything. Yeah. That, you know, that I connects think- people a lot. And I think that's his way sort of, of protecting and helping Harry grow and introduce him to this world. And he therefore feels a little bit responsible for him. Yeah, and I think also Hagrid is the only one to have seen firsthand at least a small piece of the dynamic between Harry and the Dursleys. And so I think that he feels maybe a little extra protective of Harry, seeing how he's 
you know, had to grow up. And, you know, I kind of forget how old Hagrid was when his dad passed away, but Hagrid's lived a life without parents for a long time, too. So he can probably really relate to Harry's sort of feeling helpless and lost. You know, when Hagrid got expelled, Dumbledore was really the only person who gave a shit. Yeah. And he definitely understands being an outcast, too. Yeah. So I feel like that would tie them, if nothing else. And when they're in Diagon Alley and Harry's really confiding in Hagrid about all his fears about how he's not going to perform, Hagrid is kind of like, dude, they'll keep you even if you don't perform. Like, don't worry about it. (laughs) You'll be fine. You'll be fine. In the chapter when Harry catches the Remembrall and, and thinks oh, yeah. he's about to be expelled. And he's like, I guess I'll just stay here and be Hagrid's assistant. He's like, Hagrid will take me in. I know it. <laughs> and like, he's completely right. Hagrid absolutely will. <laughs> true, true. But we all know Harry is very special and he would have to do a lot to get expelled. That becomes evident over the rest of the series. <laughs> So he's opening his presents. He gets the flute from Hagrid. Okay, the next thing he opens is from the Dursleys. And based on what I've read so far, that's probably the nicest gift they've ever sent him. A uh, 50 pence piece, which I guess is kind of like sent. Yeah, I would, well, Ron likes it a lot, so. <laughs> so like his dad, right? Yeah. I feel like maybe they just give it to him because they know he's around other people who might at this point see that they don't give him a Christmas present or something. I think it's kind of strange that they send him anything. Yeah, um, I know that in some, in some, this, this happens to me all the time where I'm like, sometime in one of the other books, they talk <laughs> about how Hedwig goes and pecks them until they send something, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I just think that that's like such a Hedwig thing to do. <laughs> I, I really picture her doing that. Like, she's like, so Get Hedwig. It yeah. <laughs> She's the best. So who knows? She might be doing that this whole time. She's like, I know where they live. I'm going to go fucking get him a (laughs) Christmas present. And I think it's funny that Ron says, Ron is like very intrigued by the shape of the 50 cent, wait, 50 pence piece, (laughs) which it's got to be a circle, right? I would assume so. So like, what is Wizard Bunny? I mean, in the Harry Potter game I have, I think that the nuts are like hexagonal, but like it's really not a far leap from a hexagon to a circle. So really, he's just <laughs> being, he's just really, he's small minded in a really funny way. He's only lived in Ottery St. Catchpole his entire life. And he is like a country wizard boy who doesn't really know anything at all, basically, is what I'm getting. Oh my at. God. Is Ron a good old boy? I didn't know. <laughs> So he gives it to Ron because there's no use to anyone in this castle for a a 50 pence piece. And then he gets his very first Weasley sweater! He has a a family now. He has a mom. It's not his mom. No one can ever replace his mom, but he has a mom. And that's better than no mom. And I love that. When do they pop in? Fred and George pop in. Oh my God. Yes. And they're both (laughs) wearing theirs too. And it's so cute. And I talked about it previously. But I love how those twins can do so much damage, you know, fun damage, but still kind of damage. And these sort of like the cool older brothers, but at the same time, they're just like also super sweet and thoughtful. And even though they'll do crazy stuff, they'll still wear the sweaters and make their brother wear the sweaters. 
And then I know skipping ahead a bit, but they grab Percy as soon as he comes in. They shove the sweater on his head and then they make (laughs) him sit with them for Christmas dinner. So, you know, I have a pretty outgoing, goofy personality. Don't know if you guys know that. And like Fred and George, the way that they act, the way that they interact with the world around them and people, that's always how I see things going in my head. (laughs) But then when I actually start doing shit, People are just like, oh my god, like, you're so fucking, like, I'm thinking about my brothers, they're like, oh my fucking god, like, can you please fuck (laughs) off? Like, I'm not, no, I'm not gonna wear this stupid sweater, you're so fucking annoying. You're like, hold on guys, this is gonna be endearing as hell, just wait. (laughs) Oh, but speaking of the, uh, sweaters, one of them doesn't have a letter on it. Did you guys notice that part of it? Oh, yeah. I thought that was weird. Um, But I don't understand if it's Ron or it's Harry's. They're talking about, why aren't you wearing yours, Ron? Come on, get it on. They're lovely and warm. Ron says, I hate maroon. Ron moaned half-heartedly as he pulled it over his head. You haven't got a letter on yours, George observed. I suppose she thinks you don't forget your name, but we're not stupid. I think that Fred and George are the only ones who have letters on theirs. And I think Molly Weasley does that for her own sake and for other people's sake. Percy does, because they make a joke that it's for a prefect. Oh, okay. Well, maybe she was just like, oh my god, he's a prefect this year. I'm going to put a fucking P on this. <laughs> she would <laughs> Maybe it really You're was right. for prefect. I think when they're talking, you haven't got a letter on yours. I think they're talking to Ron, because they're actively bullying Ron in this moment. Right. <laughs> and I'm not sure. I think that Molly, while she can be a little bit of like a cringy mom, I think she has the wherewithal to maybe make help Harry to present as normally as possible considering his circumstances. I'm not going to label him. He will have a simple, (laughs) nice green sweater. Yeah, I I can see that. And the fact that they they make fun of the fact that his Harry's is better than the rest of theirs. (laughs) Which Um, I get it. Like I would give the one who's not my kid the best sweater too. Right, for sure. And like, I mean, like imagining how Harry must have felt like in this moment. He gets two handmade presents from people that he, like, probably didn't even really think liked him that much. You know, Like, especially Molly Weasley. He's probably like, oh, who are you? Oh. Yeah, oh, like, yeah, I met you one time. I want to know if he got anyone presents. I'm assuming not because he straight assumed that presents weren't happening. I don't think he got anyone anything. First of all, how? I think that there's probably resources. You can probably mail order stuff, but like he doesn't know that. He has no resources right now. I think he probably didn't get anyone anything. I was thinking that very specifically when I read that Hermione got him a big box of chocolate frogs. Is that right? Yeah. A big box of chocolate frogs. And I was like, Hermione, that was a really smart move. That's definitely a present that you get for someone that you want to be your friend, but you don't know very well yet. Ooh, Harry definitely did not get hurt anything in return. <laughs> yeah, Hermione's the best. She got Ron something too, so they both suck. Did we mention all of his presents? No, we didn't. Mm-mm. No, we not didn't. quite. He gets another parcel, and inside said parcel is an invisibility cloak. We don't really know this yet, but it is mm-hmm. the invisibility, but invisibility cloak. Umbilical cord? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Anonymity. The invisibility cloak. Death's own cloak, yo. In the hands of an 11 year old, he's not ready. He just got here. Dumbledore said, 
Oh, he's ready. <laughs> you haven't even talked to him. You have no idea. <laughs> Dumbledore is like, oh, he broke the rules and made it onto the Quidditch team. That's all you need to do. <laughs> That's it. Sounds like a winner. So do you guys remember reading this for the first time? There's so many characters in this book so far that we've been introduced to. I mean, I was eight and I've been an idiot my whole life, but I had no idea who this invisibility cloak came from. I was like, who the hell? I had no idea. I, mem- I don't remember when <laughs> I found out or realized it, but I remember being surprised when I found out who gave it to him. Yeah, I, did, I definitely, it was a huge mystery, like who actually gave it to him in this moment. But I remember knowing that it was really important because it was Harry's dad. Your father left this in my possession before he died. It is time it was returned to you. Use it well, which is not nearly enough guidance, if you ask me. <laughs> Very typical of the person who wrote it. Yeah, yes. should have been our yes. first hint. Well, maybe, honestly, maybe Dumbledore kind of did this as a test. Maybe he was like, how much damage could he possibly under my supervision? And, you know, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but later in the chapter, Dumbledore catches him sneaking out of bed to visit the mirror of Erised. And I frankly feel like Dumbledore monitors him every single night after receiving this gift to see what he's doing with it. I agree. I feel like Dumbledore obviously doesn't know the entire plan at this point, but he knows that he needs to figure out what kind of person Harry is. Because as we find out later, that's the reason that he made him go back to the Dursleys every year, because he wanted him to be the kind of person that didn't... I know. (laughs) Christina's rolling her eyes, for those who can't see it. I get it. I get it. It makes sense that he would then when Harry's actually here, want to give him this thing that belongs to Harry anyway, so it makes sense, but also to see what he does with it. After present time, they go to dinner, which is, I'm pretty sure, lunch. Yeah, supper is our dinner, yeah? Yes, except for in this chapter, they only have tea for dinner, and I don't know what the fuck is going on. Wow, (laughs) don't know where they're coming from anymore, do we? (laughs) So he goes to eat dinner. I mean, we get it. Like, they eat a lot of really good food at Hogwarts. We're all very jealous. And then they are playing with these crackers. I had no recollection of wizard crackers. Really? Am I the only one? Okay, so I I didn't either. I I don't remember them from this book, but I do remember them from um, The Prisoner of Azkaban because that's the year where they have the 13-person Christmas dinner because everyone goes home because of Sirius Black. Right. And they're doing crackers, and it's like a really awkward dinner, and it's small enough that we do get to see like the whole thing. I don't remember why that's important to me from that, but maybe we'll get to it in like a year. Wizard crackers, there you go. But yeah, he gets his chest set. So that's like a fun prize from a wizard cracker. Mice. Mice, yeah. Real live mice. Which is like (laughs) a terrible idea. (laughs) My favorite part of this whole scene is the professors just having the time of their lives. So drunk. So so drunk. Just like, did I know what that meant when I was eight? Like my parents have always loved wine. Did I know what was happening? I love that she moves from Hagrid being drunk, getting redder and redder in the face as he called for more wine, finally kissing Professor McGonagall on the cheek. And you're like, you read that line and you're like, oh, shit, he's going to get in trouble. (laughs) And then it says, to Harry's amazement, who giggled it and blushed, her top hat lopsided. Oh my God. Well, she's wearing a top hat also. I know. (laughs) 
<laughs> McGonagall, okay. <laughs> you remember in The Goblet of Fire where McGonagall is like, the Yule Ball's an opportunity for us all to let our hair down. And everyone's like, ew, you've never let your hair down a day in your life. Ew. But she has. <laughs> McGonagall gets down. Imagine how terrible it would be to work at a boarding school for minors. I think that, like, truly there's no reprieve from your responsibility in that kind of a situation. Like, if if it's, like, 11 o'clock on a Saturday and you're shit-faced in your quarters and a child knocks on the door, like, you have to go do that. You have to go do that. Yeah, that's interesting Mm -hmm. to think about. I don't remember, do we ever see... Alcohol is talked about sporadically throughout this series. There's not a whole lot of abuse except for... My brain went first to Winky, but also, I mean, Hagrid drinks, but he's supposed to be rustic. There's some other light drinking. But do we ever catch a professor just, like, really shit-faced in their office? I know we drink some champagne with Professor Slughorn, right? Yeah, that's the only one I was going to mention. Let's keep an eye out for that as we read the rest of this series. Who gets shit-faced when? I want to, like, (laughs) keep a tally. One Hagrid, one McGonagall shit-faced. And it doesn't mention it. But you know, Dumbledore is probably drinking sherry. He strikes me as a sherry kind of guy. Oh, For yeah. sure. He's in his flowered bonnet drinking some sherry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have such a hard time picturing this bonnet. You were raised Catholic, right? Yeah. I'll tell you my story. You tell me if you did this. When I was okay. in church school when I was a kid, we would make Easter hats out of paper plates. They would like cut a hole through it. And then you would decorate it with like pom-poms and ribbons and shit. I don't remember doing that one specifically, but we did do a lot of making masks or hats out of paper plates, different things. And we definitely made Easter bonnets. Easter, that's what I'm imagining an Easter bonnet. Yeah, for sure. Dumbledore is so many dualities. Not to get too much into this right now. He is so many dualities, right? And the best one is how he's very serious and very silly at the same time. And I know we don't talk about the movies that much, but that is one thing that I wish had come through a bit more in the movies is just his little silliness here and there. Yeah, he definitely is a lot less approachable in the movies. Like, I think probably in a movie, it's a lot harder to include all of that because mm-hmm. the movies very much were trying to be very dark, especially like the fourth one and on. We're trying to be very dark and serious and you, you don't have the space in a movie, no matter how long it is, to really show all of a character unless you focus on them the entire time. So yeah, in a book, we can see all these different parts that make a character really rounded. But I think it's harder in a movie, especially a movie with this many characters. You're really right, but that is not to say that there were not missed opportunities. And one that really came to mind, this is later in the chapter, we should probably get there soon, but when Dumbledore finds Harry staring into the mirror of Erised, Dumbledore sits on the floor to talk to him. And in the movie, what he does is he clasps his hands, right? Like fucking... So, like, a serious old monk and, like, approaches mm-hmm. with his sage wisdom from, like, a great height. But in the book, he sits down on the floor with him. And I think that, while it's not, like, silly, I think that's the kind of thing that could have added more depth and warmth to Dumbledore's character. Let's get I there. I totally agree. Snowball fight with the Weasleys. Probably the best day of Harry's life, truly. Just, like, we've all been in a snowball fight. That's, like, a like a really visceral kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
just like screaming and like panting and like sweating and falling down and like it has so to cold. it has to be a really intense kind of fun because it really feels terrible like <laughs> feels ter- like the second you stop you're like oh no everything <laughs> stings this. it's like a very everything strong stings. stinging from the cold and getting pelted by ice crystals there might even be some like gravel in there you don't know <laughs> depending on who you're playing with oh so true so it had been Harry's best Christmas day ever. Yet, something had been nagging at him. What is that thing? The invisibility cloak, which he previously hid from the twins and Percy when they came in. He doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't really understand it yet. So he hid it. Ron definitely completely forgot about it because they have candy and stuff, which is way more exciting. So he pulls it out and he's like, what do I do with this thing? Obviously, he decides to go to the restricted section. I mean, where would you guys go? Maybe that should have been the question. I probably would have gone to the kitchens and gotten some snacks right away. That was my first thought. The kitchens. <laughs> the kitchens. I mean, it, it makes sense that he would go there because you think first, like, what's normally restricted to me? What normally am I not allowed in? What's restricted to me? The restricted section? That section. That section. The one that's restricted. The one section. I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> it's the section of the library. <laughs> So he goes and like, it's really exciting. It's like the first of many. He uses this cloak so much. He goes to the restricted section. Really, I mean, I don't know. To not even think for one second that there might be some other enchantment on the books besides just like it being roped off. Don't come in here. (laughs) There's a rope. Yeah, like, is that a magical rope? It's got to be, right? But I guess it's not. I guess it doesn't have to be because the books themselves are so terrifying. And obviously the enchantment that's put on it is, I'm assuming, meant to alert the staff, whatever staff might be nearby to hear it. It's an alarm. So like, obviously the point is, I think maybe the the point of the rope is so that kids think that that's the only thing in the way. They fall for it and they pull out a book. Which Harry does. And it screams. That part in the movie freaked me out when I was so teeny and tiny. It's very scary. In the book, they get in the... Wait, wait, I'm getting confused. In the movie, they give the book a face. Right. <laughs> That's scary. And so he has to, like, shut the book on the face in a way that doesn't exactly play out that way in the books. I mean, you have to think about it from Harry's perspective. He doesn't know if he has, like activated some ancient curse or something you know like he doesn't know what's happening Mm -hmm. he just fucking dips good just in the nick of time because filch shows up and so harry runs and runs and runs and where does he wind up i don't know some classroom wait wait what i wasn't sure if this is like common knowledge or not but when i was rereading this i was like oh harry is in the room of requirement. Is that plausible? That, oh. um, I'm now, now that you say it, I don't remember where I heard that, but that's what I, I learned that at some point. I don't know who from. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm hearing that now for the first time and that makes perfect sense. I'm going to look for the text real fast so we can break it down. He runs. Okay. 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 I mean, wait, it, it, this happens over a lot of paragraphs. Okay. Okay. He runs <laughs> Um, Filch is in the doorway. Harry streaks off down the corridor. He comes to a sudden halt in front of a tall suit of armor. 
that's how it goes. Like, he just runs, and he comes to a halt in front of a tall suit of armor. So then he backs away. I mean, it could, I mean, it definitely could happen. You have to walk in front of the room of requirement three times. He And he, at that point, he's kind of trapped there because Snape and Filch are talking now. And they're about to run right into him where he's standing by the suit of armor and he doesn't really know where to go. And then suddenly he just happens to see this door ajar on his left and runs into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's a desperate need. And if Harry is like, I need to hide myself and you know, Dumbledore or whomever is like, I need to hide this mirror. That's the same room, but it's not the room of hidden things that we experience later. It's well, I think if you want, if you need a place to hide something, that's when all that stuff shows up, right? Because when Harry remembers where he's seen the diadem, then that's when they wander in that hallway and they think they need a place to hide something. And they find the room where they have the hidden things again, right? My question is, if someone was trying to hide the mirror of Erised, why wouldn't it end up in that room of hiding? where all the things mm-hmm. are hidden. But, I mean, there's a lot of answers to that question. It could be that they're not trying to hide it, they're trying to store it. Right. right. Like, I need well, a room. So, I kind of, I was trying to think about, like, why is the Mirror of Erised at Hogwarts in the first place? Like, how did they get it? And so, my assumption was that they were maybe studying it. And so, I felt like the Room of Requirement was, like, the best fit, I guess, for a place to put it. The crazy thing is that if they were studying it, Quirrell was in on that as the defense against the dark arts teacher, probably. Right. There's a lot, I guess, about the mirror of Aristide that we don't know. I mean, it's only brought in as Dumbledore's final obstacle. Yes. Thank you so much. As Dumbledore's final obstacle to get to the stone. Right. It's like not, I don't think it's brought in for any other purpose. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's take a look at it. Harry looks into the mirror and he sees, well, first of all, he's terrified because he's like, oh, shit, people. He doesn't know what his parents look like because the Dursleys don't have any photographs, which is so sad, yo. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of when I really shouldn't have been, but I was trying to give them some sort of excuse for that. And I was like, Maybe the only photographs were like ones that move or something. And wouldn't like have that in their house. I don't know. It sucks though. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, Petunia probably has photographs of Lily from when they were kids, but that wouldn't do Harry a lot of good. Yeah. So he sees his parents. I mean, those eyes, right, man? Am I right? Those Those green eyes. Green, green eyes. (laughs) Just haunting him. (laughs) (laughs) Harry is gazing into the mirror of Erised and from an adult perspective, I don't remember reading this part as a child, but from an adult perspective, my alarm bells went off immediately. I was like, you are being hypnotized right now and you need to get out. Like in an adult book, this would have resulted in like a much darker like outcome of him becoming enchanted in some way by the mystery of this mirror. Well, I think that that process starts like he repeatedly goes back to it and I know we talked earlier a little bit about Ron and stuff, but I think that Ron had some really good instincts here, basically telling him, like, you know, don't go back, man. Like, that's some bad news. 
I thought that was really awesome of Ron as the best good friend. So let's let's get to that. So eventually it's like a noise that snaps him out of his hypnosis. And so he it's like fear alone that results in him leaving. And then he tells Ron about it because it's his first friend ever and you tell your best friend everything. And Ron is a butthead about it. He's like, you could have fucking woken me up. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't get it. You know, we kind of skipped over that Harry wanted his first excursion in his invisibility cloak which belonged to his father's to be his own, right? He didn't want to bring Ron. And I, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but then he tells Ron about it after the fact, you know, Harry still has very little perspective at this point. So he's probably like, Ron, does this mean anything to you? Like, have mm-hmm. you, do you have a mirror like this? Right. But Ron has no fucking idea. Ron's like, I'd love to meet your mom and dad. Let's go to that mirror. <laughs> It's just like but like Ron starts seeing the signs. Like Harry is like not eating and Yeah. Ron's like, You look odd. Like, dude, are you okay? Ron said you look odd and then there's a section break, which is really disarming. Yeah. And even before that, this just harkens back to Ron being totally oblivious. His friend who has never met his parents ever just said he saw his dead parents in a mirror. And Ron's reaction is like, whoa, I want to see that too. I want to <laughs> yeah. see I want to yeah. see your family. I want to see my family. <laughs> Maybe it only shows dead people though. Uh you should eat your baby. Oh my god. And then yeah. and then that's it. <laughs> Why aren't you eating anything? <laughs> so sorry. I choked a little about my wine. Yeah, Ron's kind of, he's a dumbass, but he's like the dumbass we all need, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got he's like a dumbass, but he's got some like underlying instincts. Despite himself, he has that. Yeah. Like, they get under the invisibility cloak together. It's Harry's first excursion now with another person, which is also something he does a lot throughout the rest of the series. They have a hard time retracing his steps because the night before he kind of just mindlessly fled the library. But eventually they find the room. So Harry looks in the mirror and his mother and father are there, but that's not how it goes for Ron. Ron sees himself as head boy holding the house cup and the Quidditch cup, outdoing all of his brothers. And truly that trifecta is the only way to outdo all your brothers because, I mean, his brothers have done a lot of really impressive shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, truly, I think Ron could get carried away with this fantasy, but I think the difference is that Ron kind of has this perspective of, like, oh, that'll never be me, almost, you know? Like, like deep down inside. Well, I think, I think it's kind of the opposite, where Ron might feel better about his prospects for getting those things now. Maybe not in the near future, but, like, he's seen himself. The only way to get those things is, is to get away from the mirror and live his life and for Harry the only way to see his family is to you know to live in the past to look in the mirror wow that's a great point I think the difference between Ron and Harry's experience is that like even if it's unlikely it's possible for Ron to attain what he sees in the mirror Mrs. Norris comes Ron and Harry leave because Ron's got brain in his head I guess and Harry doesn't about this kind of thing and then the next day, Harry's really non-responsive. Want to play chess? No. Want to visit Hagrid? No. Ron says, don't go back to that mirror tonight. Harry says, why not? And Ron says, I have a bad feeling about it. And that's Ron having been in the wizarding world long enough to be suspicious of things that seem too good to be true. So he has this sort of context from probably overhearing a lot from his dad, Arthur Weasley's adventures at the Ministry of Magic. 
So he goes back for a third night in a row. Mm. And Dumbledore's there right away. I think Dumbledore's been watching him this whole time. I think it's impossible for a kid Harry's age to not try something out. Even if you're not Harry, who is incredibly brave, incredibly stupid. But to be given a gift like that, you know, at that age, you you have a conscience, but it's definitely not as experienced as if you're older. So he's definitely going to try that out. I just love Dumbledore's flex right here when he says, I don't need a cloak to become invisible. Yeah, Dumbledore flexes real hard on Harry. He doesn't need a cloak to be invisible. What I'm reading there is, I am more powerful than death, but that's fine. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) I've said this before, Dumbledore gets on the floor with Harry. Dumbledore could take a position of authority like McGonagall would, right? Like McGonagall would totally stand up and look down her long nose at him and be like, you are in trouble. But that's no, <laughs> not Dumbledore's approach. And it's the first time they've spoken ever. That's true. We have to assume that Dumbledore has been watching from a distance this whole time to see, like, what did I do to this kid by leaving him with his terrible aunt and uncle? And yeah. really, he's probably really patting himself on the back because he's like, he turned out to be a great kid. I made a great decision. <laughs> exactly as planned. It's everything went exactly as I planned, as usual. Love it, Master. So here's something that has always kind of tripped me up. Dumbledore is teaching. He's like, what do you think this mirror does? And Harry says, it shows us what we want, whatever we want. And Dumbledore says, yes and no. It shows us nothing more or less than the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. (laughs) Like what? How did Harry get it wrong? What's the no part? So when I read that part, when Harry says it, I read it as it shows us what we want, whatever we want, as though you can request something of it. I want to see this thing at this time. And And Dumbledore's like, like, no, think about it like more seriously. Yeah. And I think that's why he says yes and no, because yes, technically it shows you what you want. Right. No, you can't just request anything. It shows you this one thing that it knows is your truly deepest desire. Yeah, like it doesn't change day by day, but maybe month or year to year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's also that like, you may think you know what you want. Like I said, I want to be surrounded by cake. If I actually stood in front of the mirror of Arised, I think it probably would reveal something that, that maybe I don't even know. That's interesting. Thanks for your honesty. Basically, I'm just meandering through my life and I have no <laughs> who am I what I do know. I want cake I guess cake I don't know just a lot of cake I guess <laughs> this has been a really therapeutic episode for me obviously for those who don't know Grace makes a really dope cake just one one dope okay. cake just the one <laughs> now your cakes are amazing yeah it shows us what we truly want and then Dumbledore's like skedaddle now and don't come back well, he does mention that the mirror is being removed. Clutch Dumbledore quote here. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Remember that. It's one of my so, favorites. So I have like kind of a long-ish story to tell you guys, if that's okay. Just like cosmically kind of crazy to me. So these books mean a lot to me for a lot of reasons. But one of them is that a friend of mine 
who was my friend in high school and college, she was killed in a hit and run a few years ago. And I was trying to remember how many years ago. Sounds terrible, but I I don't know exactly. Her name was Lainey. And um, she was just really awesome. And she was just as crazy about the Harry Potter series as me. Like just like every step of it since high school and on, we were together for it. So when she passed away, we had a memorial service at our high school. And her other friends and I didn't really know what to do for her. None of us really wanted to say like, our own made up words, because that's scary in front of a whole school. And so we, a couple of us picked passages from Harry Potter. And mine was this one, actually, but it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live, which seems really weird to me now. (laughs) Like, it, It doesn't really seem like a memorial service kind of passage to read. I know everyone says this about people who they know, who passed away, especially people that meant a lot to them. They always say like, Man, they were just amazing and full of life. Lainey really was. Like, I still think of her all the time when I cook stuff, when I read, like all these parts of my life that she was a big part of and taught me a lot of things, which is a big part of it. So anyways, (laughs) I have actually been dreaming about her a lot lately. And I don't know why. It's not even near an anniversary or anything like that. But I've been dreaming a lot about her and I, I will wake up crying because in my dream, she's come back to life. And I'm like, so happy that I'm crying about it. And she knows you're reading Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just feel like that's crazy. Because I did. It didn't even occur to me reading this chapter all the way up until that line, what was going to happen. And then I read yeah. that line. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. That's what I read at her memorial service. And I was like, I feel like that's literally this book speaking to me at this point. Like, I don't know that those dreams are doing any sort of damage to me, I don't think, but I am kind of thinking about them throughout the day and thinking about like, man, like getting more back into when I was really angry about her death and her not being here and how unfair it is. And I don't know, just like was crazy. Like, what are the odds? Wow. Yeah. Okay. My first Harry Potter friend her name was Lainey. What? Just like a fun fact. Mary Payton, that was really beautiful. Is it like, like, is it weird to end on like kind of like a sad, thoughtful note? Or is it maybe even appropriate for a chapter like I don't. I don't think it's weird because I, I feel like a lot of this podcast is for us to experience these books again from our adult perspective and I know that we've all reread them a bunch of times and stuff, but, you know, I think that this is something that is re- like this particular line is something that really resonates with all of us. So, I mean, I think that's great to put at the end. Yeah. Mary Payne, thanks for sharing that with us. It's it just really good demonstration of the way that these books can really mean a lot to you outside of what they are. You know, they, they connect you to other people Yeah, and they, they connect you to times in your life. There was a quote that someone said, I can't find who it was um, on NPR the other day. He said something about books connect you to anyone who's ever read the book and anyone who is ever going to read that book. That's so true. Wow. All right, let's wrap it up. What does Dumbledore see in the mirror? Hmm. 
a pair of thick woolen socks. Doing Dobby proud with the sock <laughs> game. I tried to think about this earlier, and I feel like one of the things that Dumbledore seems to have a lot of is regret. That's how you get to be like a sage elder. Right. Yeah. He's He's been through a lot of his life, made a lot of decisions probably very strong decisions and therefore they've affected other people, you know, especially when it comes to his little sister. That's the first thing I thought of, Mm -hmm. but I feel like maybe in whatever way it would show those people forgiving him maybe. So Um, you're, you're talking about Ariana. I'm talking specifically about Ariana. I thought maybe Grindelwald, even though Grindelwald, you know, made his own choices. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, my, my first thought was definitely Ariana. Definitely not Woolen Socks. But <laughs> yeah, he definitely has a lot of regrets regarding Ariana. I did also think Grindelwald. I don't know what else it would be, though, besides those two things. I mean, probably People. Harry. You think? I don't think enough has revealed itself yet for him to feel true regret about Harry. I think he's like, I did a great job. This kid is fine. <laughs> You're right. Not at this You point. made like yeah. one and a half whole friends. So like I did. Right. <laughs> he's doing great. <laughs> There's a lot of things it could be. It could be that day that he goes to get Tom Riddle from the orphanage. Right? Like, like he could have those kinds of regrets. That's true. We know from Harry's experience with the mirror that it doesn't have to be something that is like actually plausible. It can be something that can never ever happen. And so for Dumbledore, you're you're right, he's lived a long life. He's made a lot of decisions and some of them were good and some of them were bad. Similar to Harry, Dumbledore would be surrounded by people that he's lost. Yeah, to me I just I, I just always interpreted that Ariana was his greatest regret. And and how could she not be, you know? Right, right. I mean, unless she was, like, a bitch, and we just don't know. <laughs> don't that would be a so. real plot twist. When they're trying to find the Horcrux, the locket Horcrux, and they're at the the thing on the sea. Yeah, the cave. Yeah. Um, and Dumbledore is drinking that stuff that makes him feel... Doesn't like, he see something at that point? Or no? Water. He definitely says, water would be nice. <laughs> Yeah, but he also says some other shit. The yeah, exact nature of that other shit, I don't remember, but it is yeah. it is some non sequitur shit. <laughs> we'll get there, I guess. We'll get to that scene before we get to the scene where we talk about Ariana for the first time. So, guys, Growing this up. podcast is going to take forever, especially <laughs> especially if coronavirus has anything to say about it. Ooh. It was only when he was back in bed that it struck Harry that Dumbledore might not have been quite truthful about what he saw in the mirror of Erised. But then he thought, as he shoved Scabbers off his pillow, it had been quite a personal question. And that's cute, because Harry has no idea the trauma that Dumbledore carries with him every day, but he's just like, that was kind of rude. Maybe he saw himself eating a lot of calzones or like something really weird. (laughs) Calzones. <laughs> wow, Ben Wyatt. Okay. Ben Wyatt. <laughs> yes. Calzone, Shana, eh? Sean <laughs> and I got an air fryer the other day and we cooked a calzone in it and it was oh so God. good. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a great place to end this episode. <laughs> the next chapter is Nicholas Flamel. So clearly they learn about Nicholas Flamel in the next chapter. Finally, because they really disappointed Hermione. <laughs> 
Oh, ta 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 ta. Are you guys ready to do some plugs? Yes. I would love to plug a book I just finished called Alias Grace. It was really good. I want to watch the show on Netflix, and I'll probably do that soon. But I did also just start a new show called The Man in the High Castle, which I think a lot of people have already seen and have said is quite good. So I'm really excited about that. So you also think it's quite good? I have watched exactly one episode, and so far it is. Good. Quite good. (laughs) Yeah. Mary Payton. All right, all right, all right, all right. So during this quarantine time, the reason I was apprehensive is because I haven't been watching that much new stuff. We've kind of been just going to like comfort things and like old favorites. So this is not a new plug, but Wayne's World. (laughs) One of my favorite all-time movies, all-time favorite movies. So good. Wait, can we? Wait, 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 Grace. Can we? (laughs) I think so. All three of us work for Brandy Lane Publishers, and we have an author whose name is Mark Ferrari, and he's a pretty cool dude. And he is in Wayne's World. I forgot that. What part? He, he is in Cassandra's band, Crucial Taunt. Uh. And his book is called Don't Dilly Dally Silly Sally. If your child has a hard time with being on time, get that book. that's a great movie dude so good one of my favorites so good okay i'm gonna talk about the t-shirt actually too me mary payton i am um you can follow me at richmond reads on instagram i um celebrate the richmond reading scene and its readership um and try to promote during this time try to promote any sort of virtual events that are going on or authors, uh, local authors. Um, and also right now um, I'm, I worked with Bonfire to make a t-shirt to help raise funds for Richmond local bookstores. So stay home, read books, save lives. Just crucial. Limited edition quarantine t-shirt. Um, all proceeds go to local Richmond bookstores. So Buy one, you can go to www.bonfire.com slash this hyphen shirt hyphen saves hyphen bookstores. That is this shirt saves bookstores with hyphens in between all the letters. Correct. So as always, you can follow me on Instagram at your girl of the world. If you don't know how to spell it, the link is in the show notes. You can follow me on Twitter at girl of the world with there's no e in the word the it doesn't make any sense i really need to change it soon link in the show notes what am i doing on twitter i don't know and i would like to plug a book that i have been reading lately called peter polo and the snow beast of hunza it's a middle grade book middle grade means it's a chapter book for kids about Marco Polo's younger brother trying to figure out what the fuck's going on with the snow beast it's very badass if you have a kid who loves historical fiction, I could not recommend it more. Uh, I don't know how to end these podcasts anymore because it used to be get the fuck out of my house and now I'm so lonely in my home. Please come please, over. Please come <laughs> over, but don't touch me. Get the fuck in my house. All these plants 
are hanging and there's a basket of muffins and a lot of cushy pillows and How inviting a fire blazing and there's an aquarium in the corner with a tiny catfish in it and some little ones that look like Dory from Finding Nemo. I'm in the Hufflepuff common room. Get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> are we done? Because I'm going to plug in my phone while you guys are still here. Yes. The audio quality can get as shitty as we want to now. All right. <laughs> the Restricted Section was created and hosted by me, Christina Kahn, based on the book series by J.K. Rowling. All music by Ryan Kahn. Logo by Michael Hardison. Technical support from Sean Watson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at RestrictedSectionPod or shoot us an email at RestrictedSectionPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feelings, complaints, conspiracy theories, or lavish praise. And also, my British book spells drafty with a G-H. Oh, oh yeah, I, my, mine too. <laughs> Which like a draught of beer or draught? Wait, a draft. Wait, wait, wait. Draft. Are those wait really just this, are those really just the same word? It's draft. I'm pretty sure it's draft of beer. Right? Pro- yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> draught. <laughs> but hey, <laughs> it, pronouncing something incorrectly is just proof that you're a reader or that you yes. were a reader growing up. And try not to get embarrassed by it. It happens to me all the time. Definitely, definitely super relatable. Erised, Hermione, Drought. Definitely said uh, Hermione when I was reading the book. I read most of these books to my little sister growing up, and I definitely said Hermione. Wow. And we still don't know how to pronounce metamorph... Fra- yeah, they didn't even tackle gum. that word in the movies. <laughs> They're just That's like, my true. hair goes pink. <laughs> Jason came up here and flushed the toilet. <laughs> so what? I, I didn't hear that. Okay, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Sometimes you like, you know, you like, you keep talking and really the noise is happening, and I didn't want that to play later.